welcome back guys to the full court blitz sports show um go ahead and use that link anchor.fm forward slash anthony dash mccully that's m-c-c-u-l-l-e-y again that is m-c-c-u-l-l-e-y uh, when you get to the website just just uh hit the follow button to be notified if you want to be notified of every single upload and um yeah also just please make sure to share the podcast around as well and just to uh, rate the podcast on both Google and Apple Podcasts, I definitely appreciate that. So, um, welcome guys uh, to the first uh, first official Sunday or podcast episode the day after the first official week Sunday week Sunday slate of games. Um. It was an exciting one to watch, definitely. It was a crazy, crazy way to start the season. But, um, you know, I think that we're all kind of, I guess you would say, getting kind of more adjusted. And, you know, I think based on, you know, everything going on or going on around the world and then how the NFL went on to, uh, went on to handle the COVID-19 pandemic, in their games, I think the way that they handled it to make it sure it wasn't as to make sure it went as fluent as possible, I think that was really well done. Actually, I think it was a good job. So, but um, yeah. So, I think most of the things that we kind of talk about today are going to be based around that. Although I do have a couple uh, NBA things to talk about here so there's probably about three three things to talk about so um some of this will go back to to i believe september 12th so 12th and the 13th so it's going to be a little bit some things that you probably already heard of but um just because i haven't you know talked about it you know Talked about the podcast a little bit. So, first thing we got here is the Sixers have been considering Mike D'Antoni for their next head coach. So this is coming actually after this is actually coming after Mike D'Antoni. I believe it was yesterday said that he is not going to be. He has already informed the Rockets that he is not going to be coming back as the Rockets head coach next season. He is going to be going into free agency. So this is actually coming right after that. Uh, the Sixers have reportedly shown interest in him. You know, I'm not saying that a good, you know, because obviously Mike D'Antoni is a good coach. I'm not saying that. I guess what I'm trying to say is, with Mike D'Antoni being a good coach, I don't foresee that changing the way the 76ers play. I think that he could bring them a good offense. I think he could bring a good offensive plan to the to the uh, Sixers, but I don't foresee that being the game changer for what they needed. And um, what the heck? Anyway, sorry about that. So that's something playing in the headphones. But anyway, like I was saying, I don't foresee that being the reason why, I guess, the 76ers 
become a good team. Like in order for that to happen, yeah, there needs to be good head coaching. There needs to be good coaching, but there also needs to be good, you know, good execution by the players, which if you want me to be honest, I don't think that's something the Sixers really are good at. They're not really good at executing. Uh, their game plans very well. They're not really good at, you know, because, and I've talked about this before. They're in the whole, you know, the whole, the thing on trusting the process isn't really over. But, I mean, I'm not going to get into that part because I already did before. But, um, yeah. So, essentially, I think that, again, I just think that he could bring a good, a good eye to the team. I think he could bring, you know, maybe a little bit more fluidity to the team, you know, make, make the offense a little bit more fluid, but I don't foresee that being a reason why they're going to be good. If they're even, cause I mean, they're not as bad as they used to be. Like when they first drafted Joel Embiid, they, they, they pretty much sucked. And I know that they still do, but they're a lot better now than they were then. And trust the process. I don't think is going anywhere. You know, as of right now, I think that they're pretty much in a stalemate position. I think that, you know, this may be the last year that, you know, I don't know. I think trust the process is already over. I don't think, I don't think that has any sort of, you know, I don't think any trust the process crap or whatever you want to call it. I don't think any of that goes into getting Mike D'Antoni. I think that this is all just a part of a different plan. I think that they're going in a different direction now, and that's just not something that they should be pursuing anymore. But um, I will read off kind of what they talk about here. Well, I guess I don't really need to now because I kind of just explained, but... So there's that. Let me know down below when I link all the socials, let me know what you guys think of all of this about, you know, Mike Tony and everything we talk about today. I would love to hear your guys' thoughts and opinions uh, based on what we talk about. So yeah, just uh, let, let me know down below or on my social links. Let me know what you guys think about all this stuff. All right. So moving on here, we got, so I don't know if you guys remember a couple days ago in my, it was, one of my more recent pods, I talked about the NBA officially, they didn't know when, but they had already confirmed that they're going to be changing the dates of the free agency and the start free agency started up in the, in the draft date. Well, now on September 13th, uh, 12th, actually. So two days ago, now they came up with a new plan and they came up with a couple more dates. Uh, to be official dates for these two events to happen. So, again, so after announcing that the scheduled dates for the 2020 draft in the start of 2020-2021 season had been, had been officially changed, but didn't know when, it's now officially been changed. So after a call with the board of governors and all thirty-two and all thirty general managers and the play, and, and and the NBA PA, I cannot talk today, and the players' association have all agreed tentatively on this. So the newly planned date for the draft will be November eighteenth, along with an NBA draft combine that will be divided up into two parts. 
mid and this is how that's going to look. So mid-September to early October, in-market medical exams, on-court drills, and virtual interviews. Mid-October to draft date, interviews with prospects but no workouts. So as you know, it's an annual thing, even for the NFL to and the NBA to be have to have draft workouts to see if players will make a good fit for their team. Like scouts will bring guys in to their team's respective facility for draft workouts and to have and to hold, you know, personal workouts for these players to see if they want to get them to see if they want to, you know, pursue them in the draft. And I guess that just will not be happening this year due to the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, I think that with technology these days, I think that you have to look at it as a, as a point of, at a point, at a perspective of, they don't need to have the workouts because I mean, they, they like to have them because it shows their IQ football IQ, but not only that, you know, um, it helps try to figure out a way to say this. I guess it's okay that they're not doing it because they don't, because with the, the technology these days, they have all this film already that they can, that it'll essentially be like a workout. It's just not a, it'll be like a, it's essentially like a virtual workout, you know, with all the technology the NFL has and the NBA has nowadays. They can just, you know, essentially do virtual workouts by looking at all this film that they get now access to. So, I think that that might be another reason, but um, I, I could be wrong, but I think that that could be a part of it, a part of the, you know, part of the, it could be something that goes into the process of deciding, you know, what, what they're going to do as far as what they're going to do with stuff. But I'm uh, moving on here. It goes on to say how. Nothing was said about the free agency date, but assuming the same format is followed as followed as the set previous dates, it would begin two days after the draft on November twentieth. That is assuming that once again, that is assuming that it's going to be the same format based on the previous dates. So, and then there's that, and then the 2020-2021 NBA season. This is the biggest thing as of currently. The season will start no earlier than December 25th, and the league will officially be announcing next season structure with eight weeks' notice ahead of the final chosen start date. Should new season start on Christmas, the league would have until October 30th to announce the structure. The league also plans to move forward with an 82-game regular season format in an agreement with the Players Association would prefer an in-market arrangement with fans in the stands as opposed to another bubble. They also remain committed to reducing the amount of travel this season, although no plan on how to accomplish that has been presented. So, yeah, I mean, again, I've talked about this in a previous pod. I do 100% agree with the in-game home markets uh, playing. I think that that is, you know, definitely more preferred. Um, with, you know, with the fans, because if you do another bubble format, you're doing an 82, I mean, look at the, I mean, like I've, I've said this before, these, you know, the bubble's been going on now for about, what, two months, maybe at one, one and a half to two months. 
and look how miss and look how much they already missed their families. Imagine having to do that same bubble because if they were to do another bubble format, it would have to go that same way. You know, they would have to follow the same guidelines as they did for this for the current season that we're in. They would have to follow the same format, which means they'd have to go this long without seeing their families. They'd have to go this long without getting really much, you know, not only that, but not only all that, but they, they wouldn't have a really sense of, you know, it wouldn't, they wouldn't have a sense of sanity. You know, they're all in this little area. And imagine having to do that for 82 games. That's a span of over, what, five, six months. That's a span of at least six months of, 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 of basketball. And, You'd have to do that in a bubble way, bubble like format the whole time. So I think that, and even, and even like I said, even when you know the season does start, I think it'll be a lot slower then, more than likely. I think that by the time that, that comes around that time, I think that the virus will be kind of slowed down a little bit. So this should make it a little bit easier to decide. Hey, like let's do fans. Like of course it's going to be limited. And all that stuff, but I think that with how fast it is right now, going how fast it is right now, I think it'll be a lot slower around that time. So I think that you know, going into that decision of you know in you know fans at the games, I think that that would you know definitely be an easier decision to make. But um, yeah, so that was kind of just all of that. I just wanted to bring you guys those dates because I know I talked about it and we never really had an official yet. So I, I just wanted to bring that to you guys as it is official now, or at least as of the moment. They might have to change it again. I don't know. Um. Okay, so here, okay, so this is the next thing now for the NBA. And actually the last thing. So as you know, Clippers and Nuggets... It's been a crazy series so far. Nuggets yesterday end up winning 111 to 98 against the Clippers, forcing a game seven. It is all tied up three to three now. Um, I I think that this is you know like I said this has been an absolutely crazy series. It's been a fun to watch. It's been amazing. I think that if you look at how the Nuggets have been playing, I think that. Not only do they deserve to make the finals, I think that they, or not even deserve that, but, you know, deserve to move on. I think that not only is it deserved, but it's also, you know, needed as they, um, as they're really, you know, desperate for, they were desperate for this kind of playoff push and they're, and, you know, they you know, I think overall they're just looking poised to make a, you know, an NBA Finals appearance. So, this is that type of team where, you know, this is that type of Nuggets team where they're young with some veteran presence to help them along the way. Um, I think that if you look at their team, Again, they have that they have they have that veteran presence, and they also have, you know, um, they have the veteran presence, and they have the young guys as well. 
So they're you know they're really you know they're really learning off of these veterans and they're they're learning quickly, and I think that that's good for a team like that because they can you know they don't have to rely on just such a young core they can also rely on some veterans to veteran help if they need it, and I think that that helps that helps learn the offense better that helps us learn the whole team you know as a whole better. It just it's it's good for chemistry, and I think that's you know looking at how this the series has gone, I think it shows that this team knows what they're doing. They know, you know, what position they're in. They're in a hell of a position to win right now, and it just shows that the type of you know up to this point, it shows that they have a lot of chemistry together because of how you know, how well they've been playing, you know, they know each other's tendencies, they know what each other are going to do, where they like to shoot, where they like to, you know, how, who likes to pass to where, and um, they just, they're all well-minded players, and they're all, they just, they all are, are synced in right now to this, to the series, and I think that all of that has made a great playoff push, and you know, and put all that aside, me personally, I think that I would rather see Denver in it than LA Clippers anyway, because I think that if you look at how hyped the, you know, how, how hyped up the Clippers were put, you know, even beginning, you know, beginning of the season, even compared to now, and now it's just like they were so overhyped to now they're just like an average team, you know, with just one team giving them this kind of, you know, giving them this type of series, all of a sudden they go from feeling feel like they're giants to now they're like all of a sudden beatable because, and, you know, everyone always knows that they are beatable as, you know, this Clipper team, but with how hyped, you know, with how hyped up they were, I think that they kind of just thought that they were, you know, they couldn't be beat. And I think when it comes to, you know, hyping up, I think that I'm not necessarily on that type of, you know, I'm not on board with doing that stuff. I think that there's a time and place. I think that most of the time and now in current day sports, I think that people just hype up for no reason, no reason at all. I think that there's never really, it's always kind of just, you know, random times that it happens and I think that there should be just a specific time and place to you know to to hype up someone or a league or a sport I think you know or like a team in specific specifically the Clippers I think that they I think that they're a good team but I think that maybe they deserve to lose based on the hype they've been getting because everyone likes to think that they're invincible and that they can't be beat, you know, bait, you know, early on, earlier on in the season and, um, even making it, you know, into the, you know, into the playoffs, a lot of people thought that, you know, they were going to win the finals and stuff. And I just think that in a world that we live in today, where, cockiness is so huge 
if a team, if what it takes for a team to shut up and stop, you know, thinking that, you know, because, you know, because this Clipper team, what they're showing right now, they're just showing that they're just an average team. They're just showing at this point that they're just any other team, like any other team. They're nothing special. They're just like any other team because they were, if they were how people were saying they were, they would have already won. They would have already beat the Nuggets if they were as good as everyone hyped them up to be. So I think in that sense, I think that the Nuggets deserve to win this and the Clippers deserve to lose. I And I genuinely love to see, you know, younger teams like the Nuggets go this far. I think that this is really good. You know, I want to see Jamal Murray win a championship. I want to see Nikola Jokic win a championship. I want to see... Gary Harris won a, you know, championship, you know, all these guys on this roster, they play so well and they're so deserving of these opportunities and they just don't get them. You know, this is not something that Nikola Jokic, Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, all of these guys, you know, Kieta, you know, um, Bates Dia. They're, this is something that they're not going to see. You know, this isn't something that they're just going to, you know, they're, they're not going to average a playoff push every single year. And, you know, I think every team has to go into the mindset with that. And that you just have to enjoy it while you can and, you know, really put it out there when you're there because you don't know the next time that you're going to end up seeing this, you know, this stage of the season. And, you know, those all those guys I just mentioned, like I said, they deserve this opportunity. You know, all these, they, they all these other, you know, all these young other young teams. I would like to see make it as well, but, uh, you know, unfortunately for them, that's not possible. And for the Nuggets, they're young enough, but they're also good enough to make it this far. And I would love to see them in the next round. But um, so yeah, there there's that. And I kind of wanted to get into some of the specific players, you know, uh, stats. So, you know, the most notable ones here, the most the ones that stand out the most here. Nikola Jokic goes 40 minutes, 13 of 22 on field goals, 4 of 6, 3-pointers, 14 boards, 7 assists on 34 points. So that guy's like him. You know, he these are things that he can do on a pretty regular basis. And not be rewarded for it, you know, such as a finals appearance or such as winning the finals. This is, you know, this is well, you know, this would be well deserved to win it if he can make it. And, you know, this is something that for these type of performances, they should be getting this far. And unfortunately, it's, it's, it just hasn't happened. And this is the first time in a, you know, a while that they've been able to do this. But um, next thing we got here is Gary Harris, 42 minutes, 5 of 11 on field goals, 2 of 4 three-pointers, 2 boards, 4 assists, 16 points. Next we got here is Jamal Murray, 41 41 minutes, 9 of 13 on field goals, 1 of 2 three-pointers, 5 boards, 5 assists, 21 points. You know, and... I think that, and Michael Porter Jr., 27 minutes, 4 of 7 field goals, 3 of 6 on this, 3-pointers, 7 boards, 0 assists, 13 points. 
You know, and I think that when another thing I want to add too is when you look at teams like the Nuggets. I mean, you look at all the stats I just read off for these players. Look at how consistent they are within each other. Look at how close they are. You know, they all play just around, you know, all the superstars on this team, they all play around the same minutes. They're all they were all pretty consistent with each other stat-wise, you know, whether it be field goals or three-pointers or, you know, rebounds or assists or points. They all played pretty cons- you know, pretty well consistent consistent with each other. And I think that that just kind of goes on to show how, you know, how close this team is and how and how much chemistry this team really has with, you know, one another. You know, these are the type of things that when you look at, you know, when you, whenever you think of a good, a good, what would make a good finals matchup, what the Nuggets have here makes that, you know, it, this shows this, this team, this Nuggets team shows and, you know, what would this this Nuggets team shows what would make a good what what goes into making a good finals series. You know, they have what it is. They have what is needed to make a, a legendary finals series possible. You know, a team like the Nuggets being in would be you know would be what we would want in a good series. The Nuggets bring that. And I think that if you were to bring a team like the, you know, a team like the Clippers, you know, should the Clippers end up actually winning this series, which I don't think they deserve. But if they do, I don't think they really bring it. I think that they're so in, I feel like they're just too inconsistent. I feel like, like I said this, you know, I talk about the Nuggets being, you know, being consistent. I think this Clippers team, if they made it to the finals, Sure, any finals. Sure, any finals is good, but what makes it great is when everyone's consistent. I think that's what the Nuggets bring versus what the Clippers. I think that the Clippers don't do that. I think that the Clippers are way too inconsistent. You know, they're they're not really a team to where you know that they're just going to be good right off, right off the bat. You know, they they're kind of they they bring that mentality of ooh, they could be good this game, but they also might not be good. You know, they've had a whole bunch of games like that this, you know, this, you know, before the the hiatus happened. But, um, yeah, there's that. I just kind of wanted to bring that to you guys and kind of give my perspective based on all of this. I think that it's important to, you know, bring that kind of stuff and show that kind of stuff in perspective because I, I, I just think that, you know, it needs to be talked about more, you know, teams like the Nuggets. But um, what we're going to do, guys, is we're going to take a break. And when we come back, uh, we'll be f- starting out with the latest on the NFL's week one season and pretty much talk about everything from week one. So when we come back, we'll be talking about that. And uh, yeah. All right, guys, welcome back from that break. We just recently got done talking about the Nuggets versus Clippers game last night. So uh, hopefully you all are, you know, still enjoying the show and, um, you know, and enjoyed that little perspective I brought to you guys for that game. So getting into the NFL stuff now. So uh, once again, this is all going to kind of deal with the week one season in one way or another. Some of it may not, some of it, most of it will. But uh, next thing we got here is 
uh, yesterday, actually, week one, as you know, Lions linebacker, newly added linebacker, Jamie Collins, was ejected versus the Bears after making contact with a referee. So I actually did see that. I didn't watch the game, but I actually saw the replay for this, and it, it wasn't necessarily, you know, it definitely wasn't necessary. It was totally, you know, out of annoyance towards maybe the Bears or maybe the game in general. It just got a little bit heated. But regardless, linebacker Jamie Collins ejected after the 20, following the 27 to 23 loss or in the 27 to 23 loss to the Bears. Here's another game with 1224 left in the second quarter after an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty was called on him. The score was tied three to three at the time of the ejection. He appeared to be complaining about a, you know, it goes on to say that Jamie Collins had appeared to be complaining about a Bears running back, about Bears running back David Montgomery lowering his helmet on a run. He then contacted an official in the chest with his helmet on the play leading to a disqualification. Obviously, can never do that. It's uncalled for. The referees are just there to make the plays, make the calls. You know, there could always be, you know, there's always annoyance towards referees every season. I get that. But making contact with one, that's a different story. That's just not, that's just not cool. You don't do that. It goes on to say that Tom Pelissero reports Monday that Jamie Collins will not go on to be suspended for the incident. The free agent addition played 19 of 25 snaps in his first game in Detroit before being ejected per the next-gen stats the NFL offers for their statistics. So, I don't know, again, I don't know what really, the you know, goes into making a, I don't know what goes into getting penalized or fined or possibly even suspended a couple games. I don't know what goes into that stuff. You know, I don't know what goes into what, I don't know what goes into a player being suspended or fined based on an incident in a game. I'm pretty sure, what I want to assume is, and I could be wrong, but I'm going to go ahead and assume that it's based on the severity of what happens. So, Obviously, this wasn't anything big, but it was still contact to the official. It was simply just his helmet, lowered down his helmet, just simply bumped it into the referee's chest. I don't know why. I don't know what that really supposed to do. It was still contact, so you're going to eject them, but I guess that kind of just bases on the severity of the situation, and this just, this just happened to be one of those times where it wasn't anything major. I'm sure if maybe he actually injured the referee or maybe tried to injure him, that would be, end in a result in a different, you know, a different ending here. But because it was just a simple bump to the chest, I think it's, I think that could be why it's still not called for. But it definitely is, def, it definitely is not good. So, um, yeah, let me know what you guys think about that. Should he have been suspended? I would love to hear your guys' thoughts and opinions. I personally think no, or. Yeah, I personally think no, because it wasn't even that bad. It was just a simple bump. Again, I don't know why he would do it, but he did. So, um, but you guys will just have to let me know.
Colts running back Marlon Mack out for a season with a torn Achilles. Once again, this is coming back from week one. And this is actually against the Colts and the Jaguars, in case you guys were wondering. So, Temposter reports that an MRI confirmed the running back, a.k.a. Marlon Mack, tore his Achilles, poor source informed of the situation. The injury will not end his se- will end his season. The test verified there was little hope for good news for Mack and the Colts after he left Sunday's loss against the Jaguars in the second quarter. Before being injured, he had four carries for 26 yards and three catches for 30 and for 30 yards before leaving with injury. He's coming off a 20, 2019 campaign in which he rushed for 1,091 yards in four years. The running back has never played a full 16-game slate. He'll make it just one tilt in 2020. So that will once again continue his trend this season, never playing a full game slate. Of sixteen games, that's got to be a little, you know. It's got you would you would gotta you almost gotta think that whenever a player comes into a, a new season, you gotta you gotta wonder if one of their goals is to actually play all sixteen games. And I think that's usually the end goal, but unfortunately, because it is football, that doesn't happen a whole lot for most players. But um, going on to the last set of things I have to talk about here, he's going to be Marlon Mack will be set to be a free agent twenty twenty one. So it could already ended. It could have already possibly ended his run in Indy, even after just one season. Naheem Naheem Hines and Ricky Jonathan Taylor each had 15 touches, with Taylor earning 89 scrimmage yards and and Nines and Hines 73 scrimmage yards and two touchdowns, one rush and one receiving, while getting much of the red zone work. So it is unfortunate to see. You obviously don't, you know, and not only, you know, the fact that he possibly can't play the rest of the year, but on week one, it, it happens the very first game of the season. So that's always, that's always a rough thing to see. You never want to see that. But, um, yeah, moving on here. Cowboys light linebacker Leighton Vander Esch suffers broken collarbone headed to the injured reserve list once again from a week one matchup. So, and this was against the Rams last night. So, Vander Esch suffered a broken collarbone and has had to injured reserve after suffering the injury in the first half of the Sunday's 20-17 loss to the Miami Rams, to the Los Angeles Rams. I cannot talk to me. I don't know why. But Ian Rappaport did report this and goes on to say that Leighton Vander Esch should be back next season, or should be back this season, but it's a huge blow for the Cowboys an injury to the insult of a season-opening defeat. Though he only played the first quarter, he towed three tackles, indi- indi- indicative of how important he is to the Dallas defense. Ever since he came to the team, he's been pretty much, pretty much one of the, you know, supporting cast of the team. Everyone kind of goes on to lean on him, so. So yeah, we'll see what happens here with him. It also goes on to talk about that Blake, it is believed Blake Jarwin is believed to have suffered a torn ACL in the first half on Sunday as well. He'll also undergo an MRI to examine examine the determine to determine the extent of the injury. So that's two big injuries right off the bat for the Cowboys already 
look proving to be a bad start for them. Um, what is new with the Cowboys, though, that seems to happen a lot for, you know, Cowboy fans especially. Hopefully I'm not pissing any off by saying that. But, yeah, so let's move on here. Okay, so, Tom Brady. You know, it's his, it's his opening, it's his opening game, you know, very hyped, very hyped subject to talk about, you know, opening up the season was Tom Brady coming, you know, playing his very first season on a brand new team, you know, and the rest is history with that, but, um, kind of go on here to talk about his stats for that game and, let me tell you, it wasn't anything pretty. It would have been nice to see him play a little bit better, but unfortunately that did not happen. So, yeah, let me see if I can pull this up here. Okay. So, Tom Brady ended up going 23 completions. He went to he ended up going 23 of 36, 23 completions out of 36 attempts on 63.9% of a completion percentage with 239 yards passing, 6.6 what the heck? My bad, okay. All right, sorry about that. 6.6 .6 was his average was his average uh pass Average gain per pass on the reception. And when he ended up going two two touchdowns, two picks. And uh yeah, so he didn't play the hottest. I you know, obviously it's one game, even the greatest peep of players have bad games. This was definitely one of them for Tom Brady. I don't know if it was maybe the nervousness onto a new team. Just trying to get used to his new offense. I saw both the picks. The first one that he threw. The one that didn't go for a pick six. The very first one. I don't know what he was seeing on that play. I mean, it was his player. And then there was like three Saints players all around that ball. Where he threw it to it. What he threw it towards. I don't know if he meant to overthrow it. And they just happened to leap up and catch it you know, pick it off, or I don't know what he was trying to do there, but it did not seem, it almost seemed like he was just playing catch in his backyard or something with that ball. But, um, yeah, overall didn't play too good. I would say that he could have played a lot better. I've seen him play a lot better. It was a good effort late to try and come back, but unfortunately it just wasn't enough time. Defense... Defense was pretty solid for them. I would say that that was a plus. I think if you take anything out of that game, even though it was a loss, I think the only positive, I think the positive you could take out of that was a good defensive effort. I think that they all played pretty well. Levante David, especially, is someone that stands out to me when I think of their defense. Uh, speaking of that, let's move on to just the overall player statistics for the Buccaneers. So I already talked about Tom Brady. Rushing yards, Ronald Jones actually led with 66. Chris Godwin led with 79. Receiving, 
Levante David with 11 tackles last night. And uh, no picks. Unless there's a tie for picks. No, yeah, no picks. There was no picks. So, um, moving on here to the mo other other guys here. So, Leonard Fournette, their most recent signee. He ran for or five. You had the let me start. Five rushing attempts, uh, five yards on five attempts. It's not very good. I, I heard that. I didn't really watch the whole game, but I've seen little snippets of it here and there. Leonard Fournette didn't play. It almost seemed as if he didn't play a whole lot. I think, I don't know if he's trying to get him used to the all. I mean, he, he, he really did just kind of join the team. So he hasn't really been on the team for very long. Could be just trying to adjust to the offense still. I don't, not really sure. But, um, yeah, so there's that. Chris Godwin, six receptions, seven targets. He went on to go for 79 yards. <coughs> Excuse me. And, um, yeah, so OJ Howard here, four receptions, six targets, ran for 36 yards. And then a Rob Gronkowski didn't get much either. Two receptions, three targets, 11 yards. And uh, yeah, so not anything real special out of this group that I was expecting. I was hoping for more. I was hoping for more for more in an explosive team. Unfortunately, none of us saw that. Again, it was a good effort late, good defensive effort for this for this uh, newly designed Buccaneer team. Actually, I didn't do the defense yet. So Levante David, seven solo tackles, four assists, 11 total tackles. Devin White, six solos, five uh, five assisted, and 11 total. And uh, who else am I looking here? Sean Murphy Bunting, he also had a hell of a game too. Four solos, one assisted, and five totals, or six yeah, five totals. His his stats aren't as packed as Levante David's, but the plays that Murphy Bunting did make were pretty crucial, pretty key plays. So they ended up proving to they ended up proving to be pretty big plays at the end of the day. But um, yeah. So not an outing that you would have hoped for for the Buccaneers. Obviously, coming into the season very hyped. So. Again, they could have played a lot better, but we'll see what they can come out and do next week. And then also I wanted to get into next now for the Patriots now, actually. So as you know, Buck Tom Brady and his new Buccaneers 0-1. Bill Belichick and his new Patriots with Cam Newton 1-0. So I think we were all expecting them both to go 1-0 there, you know, that day. And then here's Cam Newton's stats. So... He ended up going 15 of 19, 15 completions on 19 attempts. 78.9 was his completion percentage of, on the day, 155 yards. 8.2 average uh, rush per run that he ran. And, uh, yeah, no picks or no touchdown throws, mainly just ran it. He played, he played, I didn't, again, I couldn't watch this game either, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't available for me, but 
he, you know, I saw the highlights. He 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 played and he played so well. I don't think he could have had any better of a any better of a debut for the Patriots than he did. A lot of people are saying that he's a little bit. You know, I've heard people talk about how he's a little bit selfish with the ball. Well, you can't necessarily say that. I mean, it is based on, you know, the quarter. You know, the the quarterback has to adjust, but the 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 coach is essentially the 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 one that creates these plays. So whenever you see Cam Newton run, it's it's because of Bill Belichick or Josh McDaniels mainly. Cam Newton only adjusts the plays. He he only adjusts to the he only adjusts and you know you know fixes the play as how he sees fit. So, you know, whenever you see him run, it's it's not his, it's not always his decision. I liked how he ran. I think that he played pretty damn well. I enjoyed seeing how smooth this offense ran together. I think it's a good mix of a rushing game, a throwing game, and you also have to worry, you know, this Patriots team has always been so hard to beat with, you know, being a good defensive mind. Well, now you have to worry. Now, now they all of a sudden one addition and now they seem to all of a sudden they seem to be much scarier now because now you have their defense to worry about. You know, they still got a defense. So you have to worry about that. You have to worry about their offense because they got weapons. They get now added Cam Newton. So now you have to worry about a running quarterback. So it's essentially like, you know, playing the Chiefs last season. You know, you know, every single position you looked at, there was a problem. You know, and that's New England this year. They got they now you got to worry about Cam Newton running because before Tom Brady, you'd only have to worry about him. You know, getting time in the pocket. Now you have to worry about a quarterback that can run. You have to still worry about their defense. You have to worry about their receiving core. You have to worry about their tight ends. They got Devin Asiasi. You know, the newest addition. Ryan Izzo, you know. Um, so they got all these guys and all of a sudden, all of a sudden they're they're so hard to stop. And it's going to be tough to beat them this year, I think. I think that they're going to be, you know, definitely one of the top teams in the AFC this year. And let's go down to the defense now. So let's see here. Let me see if I can find it on here. So... Okay. So this is what um this is how it ended up going for the D. Adrian Phillips, their newest safety, ended up getting one of the three picks for the team last night. Followed by Stefan Gilmore getting his go figure. And Adrian Phillips, Stephon Gilmore, and J.C. Jackson for a total of three picks on Ryan Fitzpatrick last night. I mean, this defense is playing just as well as they did last year. It almost seems like they didn't even take a step back despite all the defensive guys they lost uh, this this, this past offseason. You know, everyone always seems to try and, you know, count them out whenever they lose all these defensive guys. Bill Belichick is still there. He's still one hell of a coach. He got the job done, ended up with three picks in the dub, and a Cam Newton very, you know, a very good Cam Newton debut. Uh, but guys, this has been this is this is all we got for today. Again, please make sure to use the link anchor.fm.
forward slash Anthony dash McCulley. That's M-C-C-U-L-L-E-Y. Again, that is M-C-C-U-L-L-E-Y. When you get to the website, please make sure to hit the follow button if you want to be notified of every upload. Also, please make sure to rate the podcast on both Google and Apple Podcasts. I definitely appreciate that as well. And, um, yeah, again, just please make sure to share the podcast around, all that stuff. And, um, yeah, this has been the Full Court Blitz Sports Show. And uh, see you guys later.